Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. We heard about a deal that sounded too good to be true. Write a poem, get a loaf of bread. The Sundial team had to investigate. Producer Elisa and I and I found ourselves yesterday at the Winwood Bakery of Zach the Baker. Right there on the counter, a canary yellow index card offering just that. Poems for bread. The challenge? Write a haiku about Miami food and trade it to the bakery for a loaf of its sourdough. Elisa heard the music playing inside, looked at the fresh baked treats on the counter, and was inspired. Eating some babka, listening to bachata, that's my slice of home. The employee, Crystal, counted off the syllables with her fingers. Five, seven, five. L- listening to bachata, that's my slice of home. Very nice. I read mine, handed in my card, and then they let us pick each a loaf of bread. Okay, I'll have a baguette. This is, this is amazing. Like I, I wrote a haiku and now I get, I get bread to take home. Yeah, this feels fake. <laughs> this feels like someone's gonna tackle me the second I. Zach, the actual baker, is Zach Stern. You can credit Zach with starting the artisanal bread movement in South Florida more than a decade ago. He grew up culturally Jewish and secular in South Dade but his bakery is kosher. Zach bakes Miami culture into his food. I mean, where else can you find homemade bagels and salmon smoked to taste like bacon side by side with kosher guava pastelitos? Zach looks for ways to use food to bring the Miami community together. Sometimes he trades bread for people's backyard mangoes or avocados. They become mango bread and avocado toast. For the rest of October, he's trading bread for poems. He's working with the O Miami Poetry Foundation to bring bread and beauty into the world at a time when we could use more of both. Zach, welcome to the show. Carlos, thanks for having me, man. Pleasure to be here. Just this whole, this whole um, activation, this whole event, this whole Poems for Bread, it just reveals so much about you, and I know that you have a poet's heart. <laughs> I know that you have a poet's heart. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think there's, there's a poet um, beneath all of the... The business that's also <laughs> required to make this happen, for sure. The, my spirit is, there's poetry in it, for sure. Like a lot of your background is is the creativity of the bread. It's less, I mean, the, certainly the business is there, but it's like this creativity, this idea of creating this thing that makes a connection with your local community is like such a such a big part of, of it feels like what you do there. Yeah, that's, that's where it's evolved into. Mm-hmm. But it certainly sprouted out of the craft. I mean... The whole the whole bakery sprouted out of the craft that I learned, which was bread baking, and then it's continued to evolve and take a life of its own and and become this community bakery. But it, when I was uh, 25 years old and I was apprenticing bakers, I didn't have this master plan of like you know one day I'm gonna connect with the community in Miami and we're gonna trade poems for bread. And not at all. All of this has just been a an organic evolution. Of, of who we are and most of Miami has watched us grow from that little seed to where we are today. Right. Well, I want to talk about kind of where that where that began, but let's start of kind of where we are now, this idea of trading bread for haiku. So like, how did, how did that come about? This was another evolution. So it started off with um, a sit down with our chefs. Hey guys, how can we celebrate the summer season? Summer is always dreadful for uh, the hospitality industry in Miami because those with money leave this, the weather is terrible and sales are 
traditionally down 30, 35%. That's just, wow. that's just the rhythms of uh, South Florida F&B. Mm -hmm. So how can we embrace it? How can we lean into it? How can we celebrate the summer? And summer is when we have our tropical fruits. And uh, I know one of the things in summer growing up is you drive down the street and you see uh, a little stand outside people's houses and they've got mangoes there and it's like a dollar a mango. Dollar for mango, yeah, absolutely. Actually, normally it starts off like $3 a mango and then two weeks later it's like a dollar a mango and then... <laughs> Please like, take our mangoes. Take these mangoes <laughs> because that's it. That's our. That's what we have. Right. Know? That's a, our harvest. A big surplus of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they walk around with their... Everyone's trying to give away public bags of mangoes and so so you're like okay how do we how do we turn that into a barter economy yeah yeah <laughs> yeah this is our currency and i think finding alternative currencies what it does is it forces us to find value around us hmm. right what what do we value in our city right and we value mangoes the next month it was avocados that could be a whole poetry series what do we, looking around miami what do we value so that's kind of where this morphed into we were having a, a meeting with with oh miami and we're talking about how can we collaborate because they're they're another incredible institution down here and they're really focused on uh, pushing our culture forward and uh the using the poetry to force us to compel us to pause and think about what we value in our city uh, is is a great <laughs> is a great project because for us people think well what are you getting out of this well part of our mission is to push the culture forward right uh, also part of our mission is to sell bread and to make a profit and it's a business but there there's we have many missions in this bakery and one of them is to celebrate and help our food culture grow so you kind of start with this idea of like, we will take your excess mangoes, we will take your excess avocados, which people have a similar situation with. We have an excess of dozens of varieties of avocados. And that started as what? Folks would bring X number of, how, how did that work? Well, that got out of hand really quick. <laughs> <laughs> that was sometimes it. you just experiment once. Oh, well, I mean, sometimes I come up with ideas and my team rolls their eyes at me and like, Zach, I don't know if that's a good idea, man. <laughs> <laughs> but... Generally, you know, they're supportive and they're behind me and, and they went with this one. But we didn't realize the response because we were getting, you know, 300 uh, mangoes a day. Wow. And so it's one thing you take the mangoes and what do we do with them? 300 a day. So after a week, that's, you know, you're in the thousands. Right. People would bring you mango, like whatever, five, ten mangoes. And then you'd give them a loaf of bread in exchange. It was kind of six the, mangoes for one loaf of bread. Six mangoes for one loaf of bread. All right. So now we have to transform that. <laughs> so we have to do something with it. If you look on our Instagram, I took a photo of our walk-in cooler. It was just mangoes everywhere you looked. And one of our chefs, it was Chef Cleo at the time, was like, Zach, we got to stop this, man. <laughs> I'm like, no, I said the month. Like, right. we, we have to do this. So, like, this became, like, that became a work of art. Like, that became a, you know, that whole thing became a work of art. So that you then have, you ha you come up with that, this idea of of poetry for for bread. Yeah. Like, it's this, this, all right, what else do we value? What else is a currency, hmm. right? What else is valuable? We think of money as a currency, but there's other things that we value, too, right, that are important for us besides just money right you can't eat poetry but maybe for a month you can you can spot it right yeah and you know, look that five minutes that they pause and they think about our food culture right they think about what is our food what is something that we can be proud of in our city in a moment where miami is getting so much attention from developers and investors and and hospitality groups from other places it's really important that we take time to celebrate our food culture to make sure that it has enough space 
in the soil to grow, right? Are we giving it enough light and, and nourishment and, and place in the in the ground to grow? So you've I'm sure that you've read through so the, the prompt was one come up with a poem from Brent and it's and it's the the prompt was what is Miami food? And it reads uh, uh, whether it's the abundance of backyard mangoes, the sizzle of Cuban sandwiches, the zest of salt kissed ceviche, or the heat of pickles. Let the flavors of South Florida inspire your creativity. And then you write a haiku, 17 syllables on three lines, 575. So when you've read through hundreds of these, I'm sure that you're curious because this is so much of the project. What did you learn about what people value when they think of Miami food? You get a lot of, you get a lot of ventanita, a lot of cortadita, you get a lot of pastelito. Um, uh, you get a lot of agriculture, right, of, of what, the, uh, what we're growing, mango talk. You you get plenty of uh, what's it called the um, the giant lizards in my backyard. Oh yeah, iguanas. Yeah, a lot of and iguanas. all kinds of the weird all the the weird varieties of lizards that now have expanded, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, you you start to and and in the end, we're gonna work with O Miami to kind of collect all of these and create something from it. You know, where does this lead us? How can this help us to understand? our regional cuisine, our food culture. We know the food culture of Northern Italy, Southern Italy. We know of Lyon. We know of, you know, Japan and Korea. But what, what is South Florida? Right. Well, let's add ours to the pile, right? Let's add ours to the pile. So, you know, I did, I went in and I got my, I, I had that, my eye on that baguette, but I sat down for a minute and I said, okay, what is Miami food to me? And for me, like, I'm a huge sandwich nerd. So much so, like a Cuban sandwich, like I love press sandwiches, mm. which is like part of our food culture here. And uh, so much so that I bought a commercial sandwich press and I took it to a guy to have him refurbish it and restore it and turn it into like something that I could put in my house. Like it's got gold and silver accents. So that was the inspiration for my haiku. And this is for my friend Connie Ogle. She called me a freak because I pimped the sandwich press in silver and gold. Wow, that's so Miami. <laughs> that's pretty Miami. I gotta say, I leaned into that pimping a sandwich press. I did, I did. I have. We'll we'll have photos. I'll I'll tweet photos, and and folks can see that uh, I am not kidding, and it is not a did not clean it. It is a, it was a work of art. Right on, man. Yeah, there and it I, is. And it was done in a shop in Hialeah, which is like, that really brings it into the whole South Florida context. So that's it, man. That's your. You're from here. You've spent a lot of time here, Carlos. Some people have just worked here. Some have visited. Some have spent their whole life. Some are third generation. I want to collect all of those, mm-hmm. right, and get like a, a meta-analysis, right, of what is our food culture. Right. And just put it out there so we can see because I know what I think, right? And I've got, I've got a pretty good idea of what I think our food culture is. But there's a lot of folks here from very different places and cultures and tribes and collectively that's what makes us us so what 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 are some of your thoughts like over the years that you've been doing this you really been now it's not just a guy learning how to bake bread but you're kind of looking at what is food culture what are some of the things that you've taken away i think the it, it starts the foundation is the agriculture mm. right our agriculture dictates on what we grow here that's not normally what i that's not where i would have gone with that but that's interesting that you're looking well, at that first let's pretend that the globalized food industry doesn't exist right and we can't just get everything right away wherever we want Right, so it's 200 years ago. What can we grow in Miami? Right, you're limited to what's around you, mm-hmm. regionally grown. We've got our proteins, which are fish predominantly. We got our fats, which are bananas and coconut. Uh, we've got our vegetables, which are really just in the winter. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then in the summer, you've got all these incredible tropical fruits. So if you put all that together, that's that's the the bones of our regional cuisine. Then you add in all of the the cultural influences, right? You've got the folks coming from the Caribbean. You've got people from South and Central America. You've got Russian influence. You've got that Jewish influence from Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. And they all kind of just T-bone, right? And they all take this regional cuisine and combine it with their traditions and their uh, their their customs. And after enough time, you got to give it some time, right? You got to that's your regional cuisine, right? Stir stir together and let it cook, and like that becomes. Then you're you're talking about so much what's of interest to you, which is Miami culture. Yeah. Right? I, I, so okay, so I'm curious. So I added my poem to the pile. Uh, will you call yours up on your phone? So you weren't you weren't as prepared as I was, where I still had my printed one on my yellow yeah, note card. You you did ask me to do this. I just forgot, which is not unusual. All right. So my poem was alkaline soils might. Mango, avocados, flight, Latin flavors, bright. That's perfect. That's everything that you've been talking about. Right. So I'm pretty focused, right? I, I think about this a lot. <laughs> but uh, our soil is unique. It's alkaline. That's what makes us us, right? We can't mm -hmm. grow blueberries down here, but we can grow pineapples and uh, uh, carambola and, and, and things like that. Um, and mangoes and avocado, I mean, when you think of the summer, it just just everywhere it's all i see is mangoes dripping from people's trees and then you've got all this cultural influence coming and all these flavors predominantly right now i feel like latin american flavors and you put that all together and you have a, a regional cuisine and, and i think it's just as unique and compelling as the italian cuisine right it's but we've got to celebrate it we've got to embrace it we've got to want it you got to value it you've got to value it otherwise, you know, we could just become like Epcot. Our guest today is Zach Stern. He's the founder of Zach the Baker in Wynwood. He's partnering with O Miami Poetry Foundation this month with a new deal. Write a poem, get a loaf of bread. So that's like a very thoughtful, altruistic, connected uh, version to Miami. But I'm curious as to the background of the kid that that started those things. Uh, we've talked about this somewhat before in the past because we've known each other for years when I was writing about food at the Herald. And you were kind of like a, I don't know what, directionless kid growing up? I was a, I was a middle-class kid of working, working-class parents and uh, grew up down in South, South Miami, Pinecrest area. And I don't know if I was directionless. Maybe I was a little bored. Hmm. I think I was bored. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when I would get bored, even to this day, when I get bored, I get into trouble, <laughs> but it's not like serious trouble. I just, I don't know. Sometimes when I, when I would get bored, I would, I would just entertain myself and it wasn't always, uh, the right time and right place. And then, yeah, make a, make a mess. Like you were, like I mentioned, you were like crisscross era, right? The, yeah. Make the you want to. <laughs> make you want to jump jump right you had your shirts backward i mean you i only did I, I did that when i was like five carlos i didn't go to high school wearing my shirts backwards and did you though up. didn't you though but when i was when i was a kid yeah i had little zigzags in my hair and i had a little mullet i don't know how i got the mullet <laughs> if only if only right i don't know I, well, I had a good i had a good childhood I, I i was privileged in a lot of ways you know we weren't the wealthiest kids on the block uh, by any means but I, I had everything I needed, you know. I wasn't spoiled, but it's a, it's a great opportunity to to pretty much do what I want, right? Which is in a lot of ways the American dream. But uh, when I meant directionless, I meant that I mean you went to Florida State mm -hmm. and you were like on the dean's list. You were 
considering like you had even started like pharmaceutical, like pharmacy school uh, in Atlanta. And then you kind of dropped that. I think I remember you telling me because it was you wanted to work at something that you could see the product of your labor. Yeah, I, I, I got into my finished the, the pre-med uh, course and then I graduated went into pharmacy school which was another four years it was a this doctoral program and in my first semester I'm grinding and I've been in school and I like traditional academia my entire life but there was something in me maybe it was the poet like you say that was craving something more substantive something something I can hold on to and it just this theoretical flashcards that I'm learning it just it wasn't it wasn't satisfying so I withdrew um, and I went to work on organic farms and I wanted to learn. It was, I was really in my idealist phase back then. I was 22. I think I was f- like a vegan or a freegan even. And, uh, what is a freegan? Freegan would, would be, I, w- I was vegan unless someone was throwing it away or <laughs> it was in a dumpster or they were giving it to me. Then I would eat it because above all, I didn't want food to go to waste. I just had all these ideas. You know, I was suddenly I left the suburbs of Miami and the world just, you know, came crashing on my shoulders, and I, I just, I don't know, I was taking it all in, and I was, I was a seeker, I was a 22-year-old seeker, and I went to work on farms, and I wanted to learn how to grow my own food, and I wanted to learn how to make my own clothes and build my own house, and I wanted to learn the things that you just don't learn in academia, right? How to be a, how to be a man, let's say, right? Whatever that means to you. To me, it just meant how to be self-sufficient. Right, and living on farms, like living on a tent in yeah. the... I was, in fact, it was Margie's farm in Bee Heaven. Bee Heaven, which is that in- was the first farm. I, I stayed close to home on that one to begin with. It was, and it was a, uh, it was a teepee. She let me live in her teepee, and uh, I would go and I would, I would uh, do whatever she needed for me and go to the farmers market. And that was my first, that was my first kind of uh, introduction to agriculture, and wow. that blew me away. I was, I was all in. I was twenty-two, and I, I was understanding you know how the world basically worked outside of the urban right bubble right you're in this homestead area which is so different from brickle in other words it is like if there were two polar opposites that would be the other end yeah so that took you that so you said you wanted to see the world at large that took you like you were what backpacking through europe right (laughs) the idea of like you were living on farms tell me about that so you like left the country yeah i spent the next uh five years basically um going from farm to farm and apprenticing, I would uh, get the book. There was this organization called Woof, and I would uh, find farms that attracted me. At first, it was agriculture, and then I focused on bread, wine, and cheese specifically. Man, but you're you're the only child of these parents in South Dade. No, no, are you the only child? No, I have a brother. You have a brother, and you're off in the world. Like for those five years, are they? Are you coming home in stretches, or are you just literally living overseas in all these places? I would do uh, ten months overseas on farms. And then I would I would come back to the states for two months to work at a summer camp to make my money, and I my check was three thousand dollars. That was my that was my income for the year, but that was enough to get by because I was doing a work trade. They would give me a place to live, and I would work for them, and they would give me food, and hopefully I'd learn something. Most of them were great. Some of them were terrible. Oh, give me give me some examples of of both. Like what countries were you? In? What cities were you? In? What things still resonated with you? Gosh. This can go on forever, but uh, they're really fun memories for me. Like, I cherish these memories, and this is what the privilege gave me, the opportunity to go do this, right? I could just go and travel the world and work on farms and learn. I I didn't need to be making money. I didn't need to be supporting someone back home. 
so it's a real opportunity. But uh, the worst, we'll start with that one, was a miso farm in Tuscany, in Arezzo. A miso farm? I did not know that this was farm, <clears throat> so why was that the worst? What, what about it? It just was... happened to be, it was me and, and him alone, and, and he was really secluded, like there was no connection with the world, and I slept downstairs in, in with the barrels of miso, and my job was to, to turn them and to to press them and collect the, the tamari that would rise to the top from the miso. Really interesting, right? I was right up my alley and on paper it looked amazing. But in reality, I had I was living with this guy and he was really grouchy. Oh, this sounds absolutely medieval. This sounds like some Dickens, a story out of a Dickens novel. Yeah, I told the guy that, hey, I don't think this is working out. He got pissed off at me. And I asked him, can I use your phone to find another farm? And I, he stood in front of me watching me call the other farmers and I'm begging the guy. But it turns out the guy who let me in, I stayed there for about two years, was this incredible um, borgo. It was a agroturismo. And I was I became their baker there. It was in the, the hills of Tuscany near Volterra and uh, Bonsi And and uh, that's where I, I, I learned actually a lot there just from practicing a lot of the things that I was learning on other farms. And they gave me an incredible opportunity in this picturesque Tuscan village. And... So you're 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 literally you're learning about the world, but you're also learning this trade, and you're coming back kind of once a year. What brings you back finally? Like, what brings you back finally, and then deciding like I have found the thing that I'm going to spend some time with, uh, which then turns into this this thing where we can now find Zach the Baker bread from West Palm Beach or from uh, from Palm Beach County down to the south, southern parts of Dade. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a perfect transition. It was a, a girl brought me back. I, I met this girl along the way and fell deeply in love and we ran off and we busked on the streets and and made money and it's always a girl isn't it it was (laughs) yeah i was i was such a romantic and she just swept me away and didn't work out came back had no money and uh it was either i continue on the road or i try to make something of it but i thought i was a little too green in my craft and and everything to young too to be starting my own thing but I looked around Miami and I saw that there really wasn't anyone doing what it was that I learned how to do. And uh, I had the perfect amount of uh, naivety and youth, and I went for it. And you had some pretty good mentors, too, because I know your parents uh, were like, the, they, uh, they obviously must have been supportive through this whole thing. And especially if you were what? Then started baking bread out of your, out of your garage? Out of my buddy's garage, yeah. Sandy Mints. It wasn't even my garage. It was my, my very good friend's father let me put it in his garage and we did it yeah I, I would start baking for the farmers markets and very quickly a line formed and and it just I've been chasing my tail really ever since then how did that feel like what what was it about that 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 taking that next step where you're learning this skill and now you're doing this thing where it's becoming an actual thing and people are showing up and they're they're looking for Zach every weekend, and you're starting to make this one-on-one connection, which is so much at heart of like the reason why we're talking today with with this bread for poems idea, where you're that connection with people seems like it was really the thing that kept you here. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was romantic. It was lovely. But the reality of running a business when not knowing how to run a business was brutal, and I had to just figure it out on the fly. It's like building the plane as it's running because the demand was so high, right? So I had to basically have year after year growth um, and figure out how to make this a bona fide company. I mean, it's not just, you know, sunshine and lollipops. There's 
there's uh, HR and there's fiscal responsibilities <laughs> and there's OSHA and there's insurance. And I mean, there's a lot. It's it's just not all romance. You had something that I think happens to a lot of people that a lot of people don't talk about with, which is you you kind of you had like like a health scare, right? Yeah. 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 That I had a what what they call like a TIA. Uh, it's like a, a mini stroke or something like that. Yeah. Just a tiny little stroke. A teeny one. How, uh, did, how did that like change the way that you were then thinking about this, this skill that was turning into a business that was, you know, I think it, it just, it crushed me. I mean, I was crushed. Mm. I was crushed for years because I just trying to hold it all up. First of all, entrepreneurship is when you're independent, we're an independent company. Not a lot of people realize that, but we have no partners. Right. Like Zach, the baker, the place is, it is yeah. you guys. It is Corporate's you. right here with you. Right, man. right. And I value that. That's to me, it's, it's, it's so important to have independence and holding on to that for so long just meant that, you know, we're not going to be the most polished looking thing, right? Because we don't have the capital behind us to just make every detail perfect. Um, but we've got a lot of soul and a lot of heart and uh, entrepreneurship and hospitality together uh, and independent business, put them all together. It it can be really hard. Yeah. It, and, it, and it got the best of me for many years. And in 2000 and I don't know, five years ago, what year are we in now? Uh, 23. Exactly. So, so 2018, <laughs> I made this decision. That's it. No more growing. We need to pause. Like we've got to get better before we get any bigger. And we've been on that kick for now five years. If you've noticed, we're in our location. I've said no to every expansion opportunity and all these great opportunities, this and that, because we still just have a lot to do to be a better business. It's interesting to me that you, that you have had the opportunities to expand, but I guess that would imagine I would imagine that means changing the recipe of your bread. Your bread, you don't use preservatives and type of things like that. Like that would, like that would, change the model of what you are trying to do. It sounds like. I think there are ways to grow that are smart and thoughtful, right? And and would keep the integrity. The problem for me is that uh, if we are growing, if we are expanding, our energy. Think of it like a tree is going to the leaves. Hmm. But we're not ready for that. Our energy needs to be going into our trunk and into our roots. So that if a hurricane or Zika or COVID or something comes, we're not going to topple over because we've got tap roots and we've got a trunk that's strong. And I'm talking about like the infrastructure, the company. Well, why was it important for you to build something when you already, when devil's advocate, right? Like you have a name, people around here know Zach the Baker. You could have, I'm sure you had the opportunity to sell someone the recipe or or work with somebody. And all of a sudden you have Zach the Bakers in every Winn-Dixie and grocery store across the country. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why didn't you do that? Why haven't you done that? Yeah, I think we, I think we want something different. Hmm. I think we want to make one great place and we want to do it with integrity. We want to do it with joy. Uh, and we still haven't, we haven't met that objective yet. I know people will be like, oh, Zach, you're being humble. And I'm there every day. I see it. We have a long way to go. There are a lot of things that you might not see behind the curtains or underneath that just need work, like um, human resources. How can we be a better place to work for? Hmm. That's interesting to think of yourself as not just the guy learning how to make bread and baking, you know, a dozen loaves a weekend, but uh, but the guy that's managing HR that has an HR person that you talk to. And it's it's uh, a lot of people don't think of business as a craft, hmm. but it certainly hmm. is. And uh, what what got me into this whole world was the craft of bread and and natural leaven, and and I still that's my original craft. But uh, what kept me going is learning the craft of business. And it's, it's incredible. It can be beautiful. It doesn't have to be a, a, a brutality, right? It, 
you can do a lot of incredible things with uh, business. And so we're building a team and, and finding people who, you know, it like our melody, right? And trying to create something that we think is great. I'm curious, you know, you, you then set up shop in Wynwood, which uh, was that 2017? Before that, 2016? How, how long have you been in Wynwood now? 2015. 2015. So Wynwood is very different. And I think if I'm trying to, it's hard to think of, of businesses that are still that are still there, that are still holding it down, that are that are independent local Miami business. That's not a Shinola or a something, some kind of Banana Republic brand or something like that. Um, talk to me about why it was important for you, and how it was possible for you to like stay there and 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 create that community that you've been talking about. When when I uh, was looking for, so we were in uh, Hialeah in a commissary kitchen. So when I was looking for what's the next place I wanted us to be to have a, a, a forward-facing bakery I wanted people to kind of uh, connect with what we're doing there was really not a lot of places that I was interested in at that time uh, but there was this thing happening in Wynwood uh, there was a, an art movement happening and then right after the art movement was this sort of independent craftsmanship renaissance happening there were some breweries and there were some uh, coffee roasters and I wanted to be a part of that. Oh, right, because Panther Coffee started there and uh, Jay Wakefield uh, Brewery. Hugo Fresh, uh, the right Winwood Brew. So I thought, oh, wow, how cool to be in this little this little pocket of independent craftsmanship in Miami. I want to be amongst other craftsmen and we can, you know, create this neighborhood of independent local business. Yeah, talk to me about that, about then creating this product and you start building a community, like people finding you there, people going way out of their way from you know, from the beach and wherever. I mean, you tell me, like, what what were people finding? What did you realize that people were finding there that they weren't getting somewhere else? I think one of the things that people found at our place was uh, what they, they use the word authenticity a lot. Mm. And what I think they mean by that is they've watched us grow from a seed, right? They've nurt they've been part of the nurturing. They've, they've watered us. They, they've given us sunshine. They've seen us grow. It's real. Hmm. Right. This is not something that a marketing company, you know, puts up brown paper and the next day there is this concept. This isn't this is my life. It's not a concept. Right. And it, the people that are working there, this is their entire professional careers are dedicated towards this craft. And they felt that they felt this authenticity and uh, and they supported us. They put us on their shoulders and they've gotten us to where we are. And, and, and we take that we take that seriously, that that connection between craftsmen and community. There's there's an element too, which is like I mentioned, you know, you have guava pastelitos at your place, and they're kosher, mm -hmm. and so like this was a very deliberate decision too, for, absolutely, right? Yeah, Th this idea of creating things that are very Miami, but that also uh, that serve a community, serve a, a particular community with a restrictive diet. Yeah, I I think our uh, perspective on what Jewish food is is very different than what my, the mainstream perspective is because what we know is Jewish food is typically actually just regional cuisine of Eastern Europe. And uh, by, by kosher law, you know, you just have to follow the kosher requirements. Um, but if you take those kosher requirements and you give it to the diaspora of South Florida Jews mm -hmm. and you tell them to get regional cuisine, what's it going to look like? Right. If you show up in Miami and those, those old, <laughs> like those, uh, those traditions don't exist here, uh, those physical uh, resources aren't here. What does that look like? What does yeah. that turn into? What if the diaspora wasn't in uh, in Latvia and Russia, right? What if the diaspora was in South Florida? Right. 
right? What would they be frying because it's a celebration of oil? What would they be frying in Hanukkah? How would, how it would be guava potatoes? be used? Right. Right. Uh, they would be frying uh, maybe yuca, right? Maybe they make uh, bonielos, right? Um, so, you know, I think Jewish food can be very regional and it should be very regional because uh, you should take the traditions and the kosher laws and then mix it with what are what we grow. Right. Well, I want to ask you about that. I think I think that that's a really interesting idea of then learning this skill, right? Uh, applying this this kind of uh, you could call it a restriction, you know, like it's almost like a poetry prompt. Like here's what you're limited to, and then creating something that, like you said for yourself, feels authentic. Uh, you know, you we talked about you know making this whole transition, right? Like putting all the pieces together. I feel like you're at the point in your life and your career and the creation of Zach the Baker, where now you're you're really put the pieces together i feel the same way yeah i feel like we're really we're, we're catching our groove and we're starting to sprint a little bit so what does that look like versus we're going to stop and we're not going to grow we're going to get really good at this thing what is this what does this stage look like for you guys getting to great hmm. what does the good to great look like for us i'm not against growth like there might be a time where we get to great and we say all right how would we like to grow now <clears throat> but our growth is just not more branches like figuratively and literally <laughs> our growth is more internal right how can we be um, a better a better company so that we can when we do want to grow it's built on something that has some some good infrastructure so talk to me about then kind of you know we talked about culture south florida culture miami culture being very specific about like taking those things those lessons you learn and then applying these skills to it and then creating something. So like, what are some of the things that you're proud of? Some of the things that you've created that you think are unique to what you're doing here? I think one of our one of our main focuses is that uh, we're not so focused on luxury. My, Miami has is in this phase of life maybe right now, maybe it's just, uh, it's just a phase, I don't know, but um, where we're, we seem to be obsessed with luxury. Yeah, you've mentioned that before, like the the uh, the um, the obsession of uh, Lamborghinis and Ferraris and uh, and, just and, and even like I was driving down to the farms this weekend. I was going down Chrome Avenue and there was this monster subdivision, zero lot line townhouses, and, and they were called luxury townhouse. I, I think we're just obsessed with this idea of luxury, and we have we've been very deliberate about not trying to uh, cater towards luxury but instead focus on quality how, so how do you do that what how do you push back on that in in like in actual ways at every day on the monday at your bakery yeah so uh, we don't have you know fireworks and we don't have uh um what's it called the the briefcases uh, oh of, that of uh, food that and... one restaurant where that you open a briefcase and it glows gold and there's a thousand dollar steak inside right uh, so you're not gonna have a thousand dollar uh croissant inside a thousand dollar avocado toast <laughs> right <laughs> with a five hundred dollar truffle supplement right um no it's, it's it's just a it's a mindset that's everywhere it's in in the the price points that we choose hmm. right it's in honoring the craft more uh, it's in uh, it's in everything that we do, especially focusing on the agriculture and the farmers. It's a we've, year after year we get better at being more inclusive on local regional food, and and I think that's quality. To me, that's quality. When I was spending so much time in Italy, it was all about the product, you know, where it's coming from, and mm. it was a simple dish. But because each component was was so fresh and so tasty and had such a great story behind it. It was extraordinary. Right. 
Uh, and so a focus on quality over luxury has been a, a big uh, a big core value of ours. Something important happened is that, um, like I said, you guys were one of the one of the few kind of a, that that craftsman artisanal mentality that still remains in Wynwood. Um, and like you worked with like your, I want to say like the Golden Co Company or something was your landlords at one point. Mm -hmm. And like that's a part of it because a lot, a lot of folks got priced out of that Wynwood area. But there's a value in that. Like they must have seen a value in keeping something that feels very authentic to Miami, very, very specific. Yeah, I think they had, right? they had good intentions. You know, there was a time where they were trying to activate the neighborhood and mm. we're a good activator for a developer, right? Bring uh, attention, bring <clears throat> people. Yeah, it's just, you know, Miami took over the development and it, it went through another development phase that's happened to a lot of other neighborhoods in Miami. And Miami will be Miami until it changes and we are who we are, right? Right. Uh, so what will become of Wynwood is up to, I mean, I have no idea. I, but I, I really think, give us 200 years and it's going to be great. <laughs> Do you imagine a, a Zach Baker around 200 years from now? Oh, I don't mean us. I just mean <laughs> like the neighborhood. It's yeah. just... It, it, Good things take time, yeah. and Wynwood is is this itty bitty baby, right? Right. Um, so, because of that, right? Because you're you're pushing back against this this luxury uh, visage of Miami. Like, how do you how do you try to interpret Miami? Like, people come to your place. They, maybe they've not been there. They've, it's their first time coming, or maybe they're regulars. What do you What do you want to show off at your place that you think makes it unique? You know, versus you know a, a, a a brand that pops up anywhere else, you know? Yeah, I want, I want, I want them to get smacked in the face with our our regional cuisine. Hmm. The same way you you feel it when as soon as you get into, uh, even if you go from northern to southern to central Italy, you feel it. It's everywhere. Right, and you want it to be like that too. Like what, even once you leave a certain area or a certain neighborhood, you want that. The, yeah. there would be a distinctive feel to what you're doing there. Well, I don't, I don't want them to come down to Miami and go look on Resi for a second-gen reservation from a New York restaurant. You know what? That's not fun. That's Eventually, it's just gonna, the whole world's going to be Burlington Coat Factory and TJ Maxx strip malls. You know? like <laughs> What is it? Yeah, I want them, and I want to do our little part, right? I don't have these delusions of grandeur of us ex expanding i want to do our little part alongside with the other great chefs that are here right now doing it like neven and beltran and so on who are really focused on our agriculture and the foods that we grow here and then mixing it with their craft and their story right you mentioned even patel who was a guest on our show too and he has like uh he has his own farm and he uses some of those ingredients as he's able to grow uh and at one of his i guess he's up to like four or five restaurants now um and, and I'm curious, like, is that something, how does that inspire you when you see people that, that do things like that, that also have a kind of a connection to try to create something that's very, very regional, very local, you know? It's fantastic. Can't do it alone. Mm. Yeah, we, we do our part, but uh, the more people uh, that are doing it, the more of a regional cuisine we'll have. And uh, I think the less of the second gen res uh, restaurants we're going to have to be talking about. So I know that for a long time you would call the bakery and your mom would answer. Mm -hmm. Are your, <laughs> That's right. And your dad, like, you know, if, if you ever went on the radio, if you ever had a story written about you, I'd, I'd get a note from your dad like, hey, thanks for having my son on. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Harvey Stern. Shout out to Harvey Stern. Uh, and, uh, like, are they still part of the operation? Yeah, they're going to email you. Don't worry. Are they? The, after this? Yeah. I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure they're going to email you and they're going to gush and I'm going to be embarrassed and <laughs> What and, does that mean to you, though, like to have them still be not just aware of what you're doing, but 
uh, is really still interested in in what you're creating, you know, versus you versus Zach, Zach the pharmacist, Doctor Stern. It means I'm a lucky guy that I, you know, we may not agree on everything, but I'm I'm a super lucky guy to have parents who love and support me, and and not everyone can say that, and I and I know that, and I'm I'm grateful for it. Yeah, e- even if I like I cringed, you know, hearing you say that on <laughs> on air, I I still I, I feel grateful that I I've I've been fortunate enough to have such supportive parents. Yeah. Uh, what about your brother? What did what did uh, what did he end up? What does he do? What does his life look like? He's in he's in D.C. I think he's happy. He's he's got a, a great partner and he's got a he's got a bunch of really sweet dogs and he he him and I just live very different lives. Yeah, it reminds me of my my mom and her sister. My mom is here living the American life and her sister's been in India for thirty six years living on an ashram. Wow. Yeah. So we've got that those dualities going on in our. <laughs> In our family. Well, you had, so you, you had a, a lot of different role models in your life. Like you knew about an aunt who was living that kind of life. Like you had a lot of different. Um... Yeah, but you know what? The the archetypes that I had in Miami were not the ones I was searching for. Hmm. I didn't know that then. Hmm. Uh, but I had to leave to find what it is that I was, I was looking for. And I had to go really far away, and I had and I had to go out of the cities and get into the country, and and it was that 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 rooted country wisdom, that work ethic, um, that really struck me. But you could have then stayed in an ashram. I mean, you could have uh, gone anywhere else in the world. Why? What was it that drew you back to create all that here? I don't know. Some might say it was God's plan, and. Others might say it was in the stars. I I don't know, man. <laughs> it just it was a series of events that like running out of money, following a girl, you know, taking this choice instead of that one, and then voila, here I am. What I do know is that I don't. I I can't tell you why it all happened, but I don't mess with it. You know, for instance, us being kosher. That was not. I am not observant Jewish. I'm. I don't keep kosher. Uh, I never have. I may never will. I don't know. Um, but. Life brought that to me, and it happened, and I I don't mess with it. It's who we are now, right? So there's there's certain things that I don't understand, and I'm okay with that. I I get that makes me think about like so much of a journey. Like, and you've it seems like you've been riding a lot of it. In other words, like you tried to manhandle parts of it, but then now you're at a at a point where you're kind of going with the flow a little bit. And I'm I'm curious, like, how is Zach today different from Zach at 22? much more anxious anxious yeah like you're you're sitting across from me and i'm as cool as a cucumber right but that's a muscle that i've learned you know and i've developed the reality is it's a lot of responsibility mm. growing up it can be scary and hard um parenting life it's a lot i'm i'm yeah i've never had more anxiety than i do now in my life so when i was i don't remember being an anxious kid i was pretty I was pretty free and joyful, but now it's it's yeah a lot of anxiety. So how do you, how do you manage that? You're at the point now where like you know we we can all get calm.com on our apps or whatever. Like what are, what are the things that what are the things that you do to kind of balance that so that you can you know keep being a person? Yeah, um, so definitely therapy, psychoanalysis regularly. Go to the gym, stay physical. Check all the boxes, right? Drink plenty of water, get to have a good nighttime routine, um, you know, so forth, so forth. I do the best I can, just like everyone else, right? I think we're all, we're all sitting here doing.
doing the best we can dealing with the cards that we have and uh with whatever it is we're we're suffering from right right um but uh yeah sure it's uh life can life can be challenging even if it seems like it's all you know sunshine and lollipops on the outside yeah are there things out there that like when you get to a place where you can think that that you still want to do like are there things that like what is obviously there are things that you want to do what kind of like what are some of those next things the things that are just over the horizon you're like i'm kind of steering in that direction yeah there's a few I've been actually some I've been thinking about now that we're we're getting to a somewhat of a stable point. We're getting better. We're getting closer mm. towards good every day. I'm not saying great. You know, we want to be great every day, but we're getting closer towards good every day. It leaves some space to think about other things besides just, you know, 911s. And uh I would love for us to get into just fishing more, right? We're we're surrounded by incredible fish down here in South Florida. And, and yet there's Branzino on every menu for what some reason. What is that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What is that? It's the it's the hallmark. When you see Branzino on a menu, they're like, oh, this this place is not from me. We're getting... I cannot <laughs> handle the Branzino on every menu. Carlos, <laughs> it's like, it's, was this a citywide, you know, it's part of your permit process? It's an epidemic, You have to I put think. Branzino on the menu? Unbelievable. So are you going fishing? Uh, no, you asked me what are the things that I want to do. Oh, okay. Not what, no, not what I am doing. The other one is I, I really want to go back to, and not necessarily the traditional one, but uh, savory cooking school. You know, I never, I never went to, to culinary school. I learned from apprenticeships, but bread. And at the time, I didn't have the money to go to culinary school. I, uh, I just dropped out, which was already, I was in debt from, from school. But I'd love to keep learning. Keep keep you know uh, expanding on on my craft and and uh, I've got my eye on this one out in Ireland um, that is a, a three month uh, program. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's agriculture based. Uh, it looks great, and I've got my eye on it. I've been I've been thinking about it, uh, but uh, also just finding. Imagine I've been like using this one arm, and I've been. I've been uh, flexing it and I've been working it out for 12 years now. That's, mm. that's how long, almost 13 years now I've been doing this bakery and five years before that I was learning it. So I've been just pumping this arm. My other arm is so skinny. <laughs> you know, you get what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. Like I've, you focus so much on this one attention on this one area of your life. Because it, it was it was really, it's like either you, you put all your attention on it or it's going to fall. That's how it felt at least. Mm. I'd really like to, to be a little bit more holistic and, and give I guess start flexing that other arm right? using some other muscles inside my body it's good advice for people in general like what what have you been working so hard at that you've been ignoring maybe something else in your life I, I yeah I, I went through maniac years and uh, it was intense also I grew up with it right I was 25 when I started 26 so 26 I'm now 38 right I almost need a prostate check <laughs> Yeah, uh, we can we can talk about that uh, off air afterwards. <laughs> Zach, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for spending the time with us and for sharing your poem for bread with us, man. Thanks for having me, Carlos. It's a pleasure. Our guest today was Zach Stern. He's the founder of Zach the Baker in Wynwood. He's partnering with the O Miami Poetry Foundation this month with a new deal. You write a poem, he'll give you a loaf of bread. And that's sundown for Wednesday, October 25th. Leslie Obay Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. And Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. 
Julia Cooper assisted on the show. Peter J. Mertz is WLRN's VP of Radio. Engineering our board is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. Coming up tomorrow on the program, a South Florida hockey club is getting national recognition and carving out a space for women on the ice. We hear from the woman who helped make it happen. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. WLRN Public Media.